0: with
1: Dr. Farid Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310 441 555 for this week is How We Work by Leah Weiss, How We Work, Live Your Purpose, Reclaim Your Sanity, and Embrace the Daily Grind. And uh, I'm only about 35 pages in, um, but it seems that uh, she's advocating for a more mindful approach really to do everything that uh, we do in our life, but including in our work, uh, And so it's interesting. She, uh, I just started the book, but talking about how sometimes we think about meditation as this practice or another to do uh, to add to our to do list um, and makes people actually more discouraged, but actually being more mindful is something that can be part of everything we do. It really should be part of everything we do. And so I wanted to start the show in a way, a related theme. So it's still early in the new year, and hopefully some of your New Year's resolutions are still going or still alive. Um, But that's actually what I wanted to talk about is about setting goals and also related to that living a life we feel good about rather than just focusing on the goals and then not uh, letting the goals or not achieving those goals take us away from doing the things that we think are right. Um, So for a lot of people they say I uh, even the way I said it to start the show right now, is like, oh, I already broke my resolution and it's done. As if it's just finished until next year, next uh, this coming December, that they'll plan again for next year and they can try one more time. Um, but really, for me, it's realizing the spirit of what you're trying to do. So if you're trying to exercise and lose weight, well, the whole point is to be healthier. And so just because you didn't Achieve some goal, or you didn't meet some marker that you had set for yourself, doesn't mean you should just give up on that. And so, that's what I wanted to share as far as a message goes is that rather than just thinking about the goals, which actually I think are good to set goals and have those in mind, um, it's about evaluating our lives and thinking, Am I living the life I want to live? Uh, as far as different roles of my life the different aspects of taking care of myself of living my life of having a life with meaning and purpose Uh, how would i evaluate my own life how would i want my life to look and the reason this is so important is because for a lot of us life is happening to us more than we are choosing to live our life by that i mean most people if you ask them they say they're so busy they don't have time for anything they Um, can't do everything they want to do or they tell themselves that once I have time, whatever that magical week or month is going to be, then I'll start doing the things to take care of myself or the things I want to do. And so um, this mindset and this way of approaching life is a very passive one. Life is happening to us. I have kids, I have this, I have this, and I'm just going through life and Whatever else is left over, maybe I'll take care of myself or do things that matter, but I have to do these certain things. And uh, even in this book uh, early on, she talked about how we even like to say we're so busy or people who say they're busier in some ways get more attention or can be more popular or seem to be more important. So we almost have this competition of saying, oh, I'm just so busy. Oh, yeah, I'm so busy too. And, And I find myself doing that too. And someone asks, how have you been? What's new? Usually, oh, just busy with work that kind of a response because we feel like we have to say something about how busy we are and so if we're not busy we're being lazy we don't have a good work ethic uh, we're not that important we're not that wanted because we're not busy and people aren't asking us to do things and so we almost show off about being busy just like we could show off about not sleeping enough um, not needing sleep not having enough time for sleep there's things that we say or that become these cultural norms or even aspirations of being busy of not sleeping that much that really are not about living a good life so any time could be a good time to do this but sometimes with new year's uh, resolutions and goals people start to look at things a different way um, when we think of a clean slate or a new slate uh, to start things to think about your own life and think about the different areas of your life so to begin with you can think of the different roles that you have if you're a mother or a father course that's a very important role if you're a husband or wife a very important role but also just as a a citizen as a brother or sister as uh, a worker in a company whatever it is you have different roles in your life and really take a look at those more closely because if you value them you should make sure you're doing them in the ways that you want so for example as a parent many people Um, of course, would probably say they want to be a better parent or put more time and effort into their parenting, but they don't have the time. And if you don't make the time for anything, you won't have the time for for anything or whatever it is that you're talking about. So people say, "Uh, I'll work out when I find the time, I'll do community service when I have the time, I'll do these things. And they never just magically have time show up. You have to create the time, create the space, create the routine of doing certain things. So look at yourself as a parent. Am I giving my kids the time and attention that they need? And both of those are important. The time, of course, is important. If you're not spending time with your kids, obviously you're not showing them love and making them feel loved. But also the time you're giving them, the quality of it and the attention you're giving them is very important. Because many people will sit with their kids for hours, but they're on their phone distracted most of the time, giving their kids a message that they're not very important or something else is more important than them um, or anyway not giving them a fully engaged interaction so look at the different roles that you play Um, parenting is a big one as a partner people um, especially if they have kids it's very common for people to say things like well we don't have time to really focus on us or the romance or having date nights or whatever else can be about the relationship kind of goes out the window because the kids are the priority and there just isn't enough time. And um, I'm not saying these things are easy to work out and that the time is actually so plentiful, but we can be more mindful and have more intention in how we're allocating our time. And so what I always tell parents is, or before uh, a couple becomes uh, parents to a child, is that your relationship is your first child and you can't lose sight of that. Like um, a child, it needs attention, it needs love in order to survive. And so if you deprive your relationship like you're depriving a child, it's eventually going to die or become very weak. And that's what we see happens with a lot of parents uh, who have kids. It's only about the kids. It's not about their relationship. And sometimes actually you can see that they're almost choosing to make it about the kids because there's issues in the relationship or there isn't a closeness or a connection there. So it can be in some ways convenient to, to use the kids as an excuse that there's no more time for us because we have to focus on them, uh, where really it usually isn't the case. There still is ways to make your connection still be a priority. Um, and also, if you really love your kids so much, we know that the stronger your relationship is, the happier Your marriage is the more love that's there. That's going to affect how you are as parents and how your children will feel in the home with you. So to think that parenting and your marriage is completely separate things is off because they're very much related. The happier you are uh, in your marriage, the happier kids will feel in that home. And I've seen that so much with families that I work with where the parents think, okay, our kid has a problem. And um, I know our marriage has problems, but that's not our issue. We just want our kids to be okay. And you can tell the parents that, you know, if your marriage is not okay, it's going to affect the kids. But still, they think somehow these are two separate things um, when really they're so related and connected. So uh, if we don't make time for our marriage and our relationship, it's going to fall apart. It's not going to be very good. Um, But then also the other aspects of our lives as well. So I was mentioning things like uh, exercise or taking care of your health. You have to make that a priority. If you just try to find time, it's not going to somehow magically appear. So people think, well, I don't have the time to eat well because that takes some time or to exercise. Um, But if you see people that exercise regularly, it's not these people that have just tons and tons of free time. Very often it's people that just prioritize working out and make it a non-negotiable part of their day or their week and make it just happen. It's not something that they try to figure out when it's going to happen. They've already planned it into their week or month uh, or day. So um, we have to be aware of what we're doing and find the things that are important, the values that are important, the way you want to live your life, and then live your life based around those core principles, core values, the things that matter. If taking care of yourself is something you make a priority, if getting enough sleep is something you know is important, then you have to schedule that and everything around it. But what most people do when it comes to something like sleep, it's the other way around. Do everything and get involved with whatever things and help out maybe with something they don't need to even do. And then sleep is whatever time is left. And so very often it's not enough. And I know in the real world, it's not that you always can set aside eight hours every night for the rest of your life. But it is realizing that if you don't make something a priority, it's not going to happen. So this is just a reminder to take an inventory of your own life. think about what kind of life you're living is it the life you want to live this is you know obviously it's very cliche but you have one life to live it's only one you can get and if you don't choose how your time is going to be spent if you don't choose the way you're going to live how you're going to act the habits the behaviors the routines you're going to create then your life will just happen to you and you'll look back and wish you'll wish you did more of this wish you did more of that or wish you did less of some things because you didn't make those things a priority in your life and so taking care of yourself is another one of those things where um we know people can make everything else a priority but that going to therapy i hear so often people say well when i have more time or the money i will do it and i understand it does cost money some insurances don't cover it very well even if it does it can be a challenge so i'm not saying there are no logistics to be figured out but people sometimes are waiting for this magical time when it's going to be easy for them to go. And really that's probably never going to be the case. Oftentimes people avoid doing something like therapy because it can be hard work. They can be scared of what's going to come up or this, the process of therapy can be intimidating for some people to go in with a stranger, maybe have this fear. They're going to get judged, have this fear that they're going to have to, um, do certain things or be told to do certain things that they won't like when therapy is a lot less scary than that. And I actually want to talk more about that during this year, about really what a therapy session looks like, because I think sometimes people have some myths and misconceptions that make them more afraid. And so we demystify it a little bit. We see that it's not such a scary process. So we want to look at what we're doing, what we're not doing, what we want in our lives. When we look back at our lives, what do we want it to look like? What do you want people to think about you? Not because their opinion matters, but because of the way you lived your life. Were you a kind person? Were you a caring person? Were you a person who did certain things in your life? For example, for me, um, doing some kind of community service or something for other people is something that you'll virtually never regret. But it's another thing that if you don't make time for it, you don't magically have the hours appear and the opportunities appear. You have to create them for yourself. And so when we think about this year, it can be also important to think about our whole life and the life we want to live And realizing that if we don't make the proactive decisions and steps to make our life look a certain way, it won't look the way we want it to and we'll feel that it's out of our control, out of our power. But we have much more control over our lives, how we spend our time, the repeated things that we do. And that's why rather than just focusing on certain goals that might be very small, like going to the gym a certain number of times, which is very good, it's more about looking at how we're living our lives. What are the habits, the things that we repeat and do daily, weekly, that will help create who we are and how we will live our life. So rather than just thinking of 2020 and what you do, think about your whole life. What areas of your life are you happy with? What areas are you not? What kind of person do you want to be? What kind of life do you want to live? and make those things a priority and make sure you're living an intentioned life rather than a life that is just happening to you. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Derlackwy. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, thanks for calling.
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you for... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm calling for my grandson. Mm-hmm. He's two, three he and five months. Mm-hmm. And um, their parents is not together. They're separate, almost a year ago. And uh, he always be sleeps in them. When he's in the dad's house, he's asleep with dad. When he's with mom, he's asleep with mom. And now because his mom or dad have a relationship, mm. and he they want to you know separate him, you know, bedroom separate bedroom with them. I just worry for him because I think you know it's so hard right now for him because other person coming to his life, and they want to you know separate him to other room. I just um, I want to know some you know advice for that situation for him.
1: Yeah, well. um... Uh, yeah, I understand your concern, but one thing we have to keep in mind is that I can even give you some advice, or we can talk about it. But your role as a grandparent means that uh, you maybe won't have the power to make much of a decision in what's going on. So, I, yeah, it, but my
0: daughter, sorry, I'm in trouble, My okay. daughter asked me to call sure. because he she's working. And she wants, you know, to call and after that she come, you know, listen to
1: your, you know, okay. our voice. Now, is voice she now. the one having the relationship or her father is? The the, the husband is. Her father. The, 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 okay. Father. Well, and that, that makes it even more, um, you know, for you to give input of what the, or even for her to. I mean, it's something they need to work on together. And I probably would have suggested that the ba- their child sleep in a separate room or not in their bed anyway, regardless of this relationship that is now creating the more of a pressure for the father to make this change. So already probably would be better to sleep separately. Um, But now there's this extra pressure, but what we don't want the the child to feel is this feeling of being replaced or being pushed away because of this new person in uh, his dad's life, you know, and that's, that's, yeah, and yeah. it's already going to be hard enough, I guess, from what you're saying. I don't know if she's moving in or if it's just that sometimes she wants to, to be there. Um, but I think already... They want to
0: move. Okay. If they want to move. about that, they want to you know before she moves,
1: they want to separate him. Okay. Well, I think that could be something that, you know, they talk about also as as co-parents. And I don't know, how is their relationship like? Do they communicate about how they're doing things with him? Do they... Uh, plan together, do they work well together or no it's not it doesn't have that quality to their relationship?
0: Sometimes sometimes you know he's getting a you know, very uh, angry but still the work together one weekend he with Dad, one weekend with mom, and Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, three o'clock he come and pick him up and 9 o'clock he drops off come back. I see.
1: Okay. Is that him?
0: <laughs> yes, it is him. <laughs> okay.
1: Well we can maybe get his input too. He probably has a lot that he's he's dealing with, um, and I, I wish we could actually do hear from him, uh, what he's going through and how hard it is for him. I mean, so you know, as every always is the case, parents in a divorce, um, their marriage is done, but their parenting is not done. So they don't have to have that obviously romantic relationship or connection that is finished but they are very much responsible to that sweet boy's voice that i'm hearing to make sure they take care of him the best way that they can and it's not about your daughter or her ex-husband it's about uh, their son and so they really have to uh, work together and this can be challenging especially then when new people come into their lives now he's uh, dating someone and it's becoming more serious um, but it should be made very clear that this is about the son, uh, because sometimes you'll have families where the new partner doesn't really like the ex being involved. Uh, and, and that's understandable that exes should not be vo- involved in general. But when it comes to the kid, this is a very different situation. So I hope they that this new partner will also be accepting of um, your daughter being involved when it comes to the, the son. And and making things okay. And what what is always going to be good for a child is consistency. Now, already there is some lack of consistency when you're dealing with a divorced home, that he has to go to two different homes and spend some time here, some time there. Um, but the two of them want to make the homes as similar as possible and his experience as similar as possible. Yeah. So, uh, and pro- yeah.
0: Okay, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, other problem um, for him, I... Why... Because he's more with me than, you know, with both of them. Because mom's work, daddy's work, he's mm-hmm. most with me all the time. And I help him to go, you know, back from training to him, you know, body training. Mm-hmm. He liked it redoing doing it started. But right now, he's stopping. He doesn't want and he's very angry. He don't want to change his diapers. He don't want, you know, go back home. He's sometimes this is what avoids me too, and his mom
1: too. Okay, so when was the divorce? Uh,
0: one year ago.
1: Okay, okay, so that's it's in a way in new. I mean, to be honest, I mean, he's young, so his whole life is kind of new two years and, and five months, um, but so. One thing about potty training, there's lots of techniques, and I'm not going to get into those parts, and it seems like you guys have worked on that. But with a lot of milestones like potty training, parents can become very focused on some kind of goal, which is understandable. We want to help our children become potty trained, just like we want to help them with other things. But they can start to create a time pressure, like this has to happen now, or... I want it to be young or I heard so-and-so's kid was potty trained at 18 months. I want my kid potty trained at this month. And like they start to get competitive with this as they do with lots of other things. And so maybe that's not the case for you, but it's something I always try to tell parents because sometimes they come in and they're worried, okay, my child is this old and then they're not potty trained and they feel like somehow it reflects poorly on them as parents. Somehow it's going to reflect poorly on their child and who he or she is or how disciplined they are or their future and all these things. And, of course, potty training does matter, but it can become more of a problem when we make it too big of a deal that our child is late on some timeline. So, you know, it could be, as you're saying, you even said there's anger there. Potty training or going to the bathroom is sometimes a way that a child can express themselves or um, create some kind of a power struggle because they see the effect it has or literally, it creates a mess for you um, or you know his mom or dad. So there could be something there. And also, when kids go through some things like separation and any kind of changes or trauma, uh, there can be a regression too. So even if he was potty trained and okay for some time and now he's acting differently, as we always want to do, we want to come from a place of curiosity and trying to understand, well, why might he be going through this so you said he gets angry about being changed or what where's what the anger? yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah angry he, he don't want change he he. for example he had a number two and uh, we want to change him he's a scream and he's just we re- struggling with him and i think it's okay everybody's having poop this is normal don't worry if you will not change you you know you're uh, bottom getting you know, over old, and then I'm going to try to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Still, you know, he just uh, doesn't like that. Before he wasn't, but now he's more trying to, you know, aggressive for that situation.
1: Okay. But you're saying he was potty trained for a while, like he would go to the bathroom himself?
0: No, he doesn't. But before, when he had it, you know, he want to go bathroom, he said, let's go, let's go, I have a bathroom, I have a bathroom. But with now... He doesn't
1: go back home, and he don't want to change first either. Mm. Okay. And thats is he the same with his mom or whoever it is? Yeah. Okay. Well, th- there could be something he wants to, like I said, there's some kind of power struggle. Sometimes kids don't like being changed. They don't like the process, and you're saying it's changed. I don't know why it's changed, but he seems to not like it. I wouldn't put a lot of pressure on him. Of course, we do have to change him because it's not good for him to, uh, you know, like you said, health wise, you're trying to explain it to him that it's not going to feel good for him. Um, But we want to also show him we understand like he doesn't like it or he doesn't like being changed or he doesn't something about it doesn't feel good. Even I know he's young, but maybe he could say what he doesn't like about it or he can kind of say why he doesn't like it in some way. But we want to make him feel okay that he doesn't like it. And, you know, you're, this child is dealing with, you know, divorce and separation and things that are totally out of his control. And yeah. th- there could be something related to control here, too, with this. And I know oh, yeah. you're, you're worried about him for that, you know, for lots of reasons. But this is very hard. You know, sometimes as adults, we forget for this kid, it's so confusing he was a baby and then all of a sudden you know he had a mom and a dad and then now there's two different homes and he's going back and forth and we might think the schedule makes sense and in some ways maybe he's getting a little bit used to some of the back and forth but it's very much out of his control and hard for him to understand you know i'm here at mommy's house and then now i'm going to daddy's house and so his understanding of days and days of the week and things is going to be very different so he's he's kind of it's almost every time like a surprise for him or some kind of a bad feeling so we have to be aware of how um you know this could have a big effect doesn't mean i don't want to worry you that something bad is going to happen or he has to have a bad life but we're aware that it has an impact on him as as a baby dealing with this and then now even a new person coming into his life at his father's home that doesn't mean he his father can never be with anyone but we have to be aware of the impact it can have on a very young child.
0: Yeah, because uh, usually when he's with dad, that, that most of the time being him in the grandma or his aunt. And when he come back, he more aggressive. Uh, when he come back, uh, for example, he said, "This is mine. I want it." Hmm. Talks him after that, and he says, "Be nice. We have to gentle. You should say, okay, that is mine. Can I have it?" Or something, and we mm-hmm. try, and I very hard did that, and his mom too. And he get, you know, again normal. He go there, and then he come back again. You know, try you to know aggressive and angry, and talking and bad words sometimes. And we try to, you know, uh, said nothing when he use a bad words, because we said if he try to show him maybe he more interested for that word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but again, you know, we talk to his dad, uh, please, you know, around him, don't use the bad words and be nice uh, and more, you know, don't be aggressive. For example, he holds his phone and says, hello, it's bad, you know, so much angry person
1: talking. But, but he might and... be an angry, per- an angry person and I, I understand trying to show him to be kind or gentle, but we don't uh-huh. want to make him feel bad about his angry feelings. So maybe he okay. comes back and he's angry. Uh, maybe it's about things that are going there. Maybe it's just about the transition. And even mom could ask dad, "Is how is he when he first goes to his house? Because maybe just that transition also makes him feel some anger, some tension, some anxiety. And he's acting in that way. And so rather than just saying to him, don't do this or you shouldn't do this, we want to also try to help him understand his feelings. So say, oh, it seems like you're angry or it seems like you are... Uh, You know, maybe through the play, if he's talking on the phone or he's doing something, oh, you're so angry at that, the woman on the phone or the man on the phone, somehow playing with the feelings with him to show him you're hearing it. So we don't want to just erase the feelings, say, oh, he's being aggressive. We have to erase his aggression. You know, two year olds, they tantrum, even in the best of circumstances, they have violent, you know, aggressive uh, moments and outbursts and tantrums. So we we have to be ready that he's going to have these and might even have more of them. And rather than just telling him he's bad for having these feelings or he shouldn't have them, uh, we do want to teach him appropriate ways of expressing it and not. So I get that you're, uh, you know, talking with him about what he's doing, but I also don't want you to try to ignore, make those feelings go away or erase those feelings. I- you know, so it's like having that curiosity of understanding. Well, why is he you know, angry? Maybe yeah, it's tough for him when he comes back. Maybe he's mad at mom even because he doesn't really get it. Why wasn't mommy with me for the last two days? You know, sometimes uh, kids have the, that kind of a feeling too. They don't really get it. Obviously, it's a legal separation and he has to go back and forth. But um, a lot of times parents pick up their kids from daycare even and the kid is mad at the parent for not being with them all day, even if they had a good time at daycare. So, you know, he might have some of this anger. We want to try to understand it rather than, um, just tell him it's bad or wrong, you know.
0: Yeah, when his dad come and take a uh, drop of him, he holds the dad and cry and mm-hmm. say, "Don't go, don't go!" and very really, really hard time to you know sure. bring him home. Yeah, because he don't want that so.
1: Of course, we can. And we can understand that, right? It's hard for him to say bye, to, bye. He loves his mom. He loves his dad. Uh, if it yeah. was, if it was up to him in an ideal world, his mom and dad would get along, and he would get to be with both of them all the time. But that unfortunately isn't the reality. So we want to show him we understand. He doesn't want to say bye to dad, you know, and it's hard for him. And he's squeezing him. And and these we have to, you know, also remember for two, not even two and a half year old, uh, these like days and few days in a row feels like forever. So he feels like I'm not going to see my dad forever. You know, it's such a long time till I see him again. Or I don't really know when I see him again. He doesn't really get the, you know, I was saying before the days of the week the way that we will. So we want to. As always, show him we understand his feeling. It's okay what he's feeling. We want to help him with his feelings too. So it's not that we just say it's okay if he wants to hit someone. We, we can show him that, that that cannot be good. But We want to try to make him feel that his feelings are okay and we can understand them and help him, as he, especially as he gets older, to make sense of his feelings because he doesn't really get it. He just feels all these things and he grabs his toy and throws it or squeezes it or gets aggressive he's not going to understand oh i'm upset about this transition or this is difficult for me but he's just feeling it and we want to just make sure we don't give him a bad feeling about what he's going through yeah do
0: you think if it's just one person mom or dad you know raise
1: him it's better um you mean that he only sees one of them
0: just, you know, I, yeah,
1: no, I, well. I don't know. I don't think so because then he's going to more than likely have a feeling of abandonment from the other parent. Uh, I, my guess is oh, you're yeah. you're wanting things to be more consistent because I was mentioning that before, which there's something to that. But I think uh, taking him away from one of them, I don't see that as good because he's going to have that missing person there too and have a feeling of abandonment from, from that. So, um, yeah. That would be my thought. But going, you know, your initial question—it's very important for mom and dad to work together. I think already was probably a good idea for him to sleep in his own bed or sleep separate. Um, And so, for your daughter, maybe she doesn't like the reason why that's kind of pushing it forward—is that this new woman is in uh, her ex-husband's life? But
0: no, no, exactly. Actually, she's asked him because she's a telephone and all the. He wanted to bring the girls in the one month. And my daughter told him we should start to now before she's coming. Okay. She said, I don't want my son enough feeling before because her. Yeah. in the yeah. individual.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a good yeah. idea. So that's good. I'm glad your, your daughter's approaching it that way. And I hope they'll work together. And, you know, as always, parents remembering. Unfortunately, it's very easy to say. I know when I say it, no one would disagree that. We should make the kid the priority and parents should co-parent. But so many things come up and the parents, uh, the exes can start to feel like they're enemies of each other. And sometimes will find any way to win against yeah, each okay. other. And unfortunately, very often in that war, the kids are caught in the middle and they get some of those bullets in that war. And it's very sad, but it happens all the time. So it's remembering that the priority is the child. And I'm hoping your daughter and her ex will... We'll do that and make sure he is okay, but knowing that this is going to be hard for him. So he will have some painful feelings, angry feelings, anxiety, different things will come up. But especially we want to make it easier for him and also make sure he feels it's okay for him to feel those things.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much sure, my for pleasure. Advice. my advice. That is pleasure. very helpful.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Very nice to talk to you. Thank you for calling.
0: Thank you so much. Sure. Appreciate it for your time.
1: My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, going into another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So the previous caller uh, was asking about her grandson and her daughter was divorced and they were trying to figure out some things with that. And um, the issue of co-parenting is one that, course divorce being as common as it is many people are dealing with and uh, as I mentioned to her it's very easy of course no one's going to tell you that oh I want to put my kids in between and I want to hurt my kids and I want to um, what I want is more important than what I keep my kids want and they aren't the priority so everyone is going to say that um, but not everyone is going to live that or realize the ways that they might be affecting their kids or sometimes we make excuses for why we might do certain things and so as human beings we're very good at this of thinking our situation is unique so you know oh no cheating is horrible no one should ever cheat but you don't really know my situation is different you know with my husband or my wife and this and that and whatever i have no way out of the relationship and blah 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 and so it's okay or lying is not good but you know but this situation i need to lie so We're very good at coming up with reasons why our situation is unique. And so that is why the rules don't apply to me or in this situation. Um, So I have my kids. Yes, we're in a divorce. But you don't know how bad their dad is or how bad their mom is. I have to fight dirty or I have to um, do some of these things that I know is not right. Um, But, you know, that's just because my situation is so unique. And so there's many reasons why most of us are better at giving it advice, giving advice than taking our own advice or living that advice. Um, one is, of course, things are easier said than done. It's very easy to tell someone, "Hey, just stop drinking, or stop smoking, or exercise more, or do this, or do that, or do this in your relationship." Um, so one is that it's very easy to say things, and also from the outside to just see the simple part of it. We just see the actions rather than the emotions and the other challenges. But another reason is that we often don't think the advice applies to us. So we somehow find a way out. So as parents, when you're going through divorce, keep in mind that it's always going to be intense. Very often things get ugly. Very often things are challenging. Very often you might wonder if the other parent is talking bad about you or putting the kids in between you and them and so it's very easy to try to get to that space of well it's okay for me to do it because uh, this or or we'll find ways of tricking ourselves actually it's going to help my kids because I'm going to show them that it's not okay for someone to be the way their mom or their dad is being so I'm actually teaching them a lesson and yes if you're ex is disrespecting you, showing that that's not okay, I think makes sense between you and them, but getting the kids involved is not necessary. And so um, making your child the priority or children the priority is very challenging because very often people, when they get divorced, usually there are not such pleasant feelings between them and their ex. Some people have more of an amicable separation and divorce, but oftentimes that's not the case. And so it can be very hard to not let those emotions about your ex bleed into the parenting that you're doing and the co-parenting that you're doing with them, that you become one against each other, but even in competition with one another. So something I also see parents doing at times is trying to make their house be more of the fun house You know what, my kid, actually, oh, the kids love coming to my place. They hate going to their dad's place or to their mom's place. They have so much more fun here. Now, of course, if they're happier there for good reasons, that's good. But I've also seen is at times parents compete in different ways, maybe by being the easy parent. So at their home, there is no rules. The kids can stay up late. They can play video games as much as they want. They can eat junk food whenever they want because they want to be that fun parent, that likable parent. Because one of the things that parents can feel in a divorce is this fear of losing their children. It's very scary to go through a divorce. It's a big change. Very often you're with someone who you think you're going to live the rest of your life with, and you started now a family with, and then things seem like they're falling apart. So there can be this fear that what if I'm also losing my kids? And so parents can become desperate or out of this fear might act in ways that might not be in their kids' best interest, but in order to keep their kids attached to them. So let me make my house the fun house. Let me make sure they know how bad their father is or their mother is so they know I'm the one they should prefer. And even we can trick ourselves, and it's the truth. I'm not telling them anything that didn't happen. I'm not telling them any exaggerations. Shouldn't they know the truth of what's happened? So let me just tell them. And so we go on a campaign and sometimes even family members get involved where, you know, the sisters and the brothers and the uncles and everyone else is coming in and also letting them know, yes, you know, you never knew this, but your mom did this or your dad did this. And so I hear these stories all the time where kids will come in uh, or people will reflect on when they were kids and they'll say how the whole family was on this crusade and campaigning to make sure that their parent won. In this war between the two people, and also their parent one is in becoming the preferred person. And so uh, it's understandable to have this fear of losing your life in a lot of ways, and you've lost your partner, and now the fear of losing your kids. But always remember that their well being is what you are required to do or responsible to do, is to make sure what's best for them, even if. And this usually isn't the case, even if it meant that they're less close to you and closer to their other parent. If it meant their overall well-being would be um, insured or would be helped, that's what you should be doing. And so being a parent is a thankless job, is a selfless job. You bring into the world something that then you are responsible to take care of and really owes nothing to you. And so here's another Uh, form where this shows itself is that maybe of course you love to have your kids you want to be close to them one because you love them and you want to be close to them but two because of how it makes you feel of course if you feel like you're a, a mom or a dad and your kids don't want to see you that doesn't feel very good but that can't be the reason why you do certain things to keep them close to you or to try to keep them distant from their other parent it can't be the driving force. It makes sense. You have that feeling, but we can't let that feeling make the decision of how we act. Okay. I'm afraid my kids will go away. So let me talk bad about their mom or their dad. I'm afraid my kids will go away. So let me create some kind of conflict that will force them to be further away from their other parent. So as co-parents, we have to try our best to put those feelings away. And this is where Uh, Emotional intelligence can be so important, yet again, that it's not that we ignore our feelings or it's not that we deny our feelings. And it's also not that we just act purely on the feelings. We are aware of them and then we make the best decision with that information. Okay, I have this fear of my kids uh, choosing their dad over me. And actually, that can help me be aware of when I might say certain things, do certain things or feel threatened. Oh, they had such a good time with their dad this weekend. Am I going to feel threatened and now go over the top? And even though my son has homework, tell him he doesn't have to do it to make sure he has a good time here. Okay, I feel that fear is coming in. I have to do what's best for my son. So you know what, even though it won't be as much fun. I know he needs to get this done so let me support him in getting his homework done because i know that's going to be better for him i'm not in competition with his dad i'm in competition with myself to be the best mom i can be for my kids and so that should always be our mindset you're not competing with the co-parent you're in a way competing with yourself to be the best parent you can be and that does involve very often communicating and coordinating with that other parent because that's going to be important for them. But as far as what you're doing, you're supposed to be the best you can be for them and that's it. And you know, the fear that many parents have of losing their kids, because let's say, um, the other parent is bad mouthing them. I can't tell you the number of times I've worked with someone as an adult who says they realized as they got older, that for example, their mom never bad their dad and their dad always did or vice versa. And as a kid, they believed it to an extent. But now that they've gone older, they recognize, wow, my mom or my dad was so good for not doing that to us. She had all these opportunities to say things, but wouldn't say anything bad about our father or our mother. And that's something they appreciate. And they usually come back to that parent or realize the good there. Badmouthing anyone is not really a good way to, to get close to someone, but especially your kid's parent who is 50% of their genes, or even if it's not the case, but a big part of who they are. That's very important to keep in mind that by hurting them in this way, you're doing it in a very selfish way. And we have to be aware of what we're doing. We can't lie to ourselves and say, no, I'm doing it for the kids. I want them to be happy. I know I'm better for them. So I'm making sure they realize how bad that other parent is so they get close to me. We're doing it for ourselves. We want to feel good. We want to feel like our kids are picking us. We want people to see that, oh, see, they're with their dad or they're with their mom. That shows that they're the good one and the other one is the bad one. And so when we create a war between ourselves and our ex, we have to be aware that we put our kids in between that battle. So it's like you're having a war and you're saying, no, I just want to shoot at my ex, but your kids are in between. And so they're going to get lots of collateral damage from that they're going to get hurt and probably hurt the most because they're the most fragile they're the most vulnerable and you're really playing with and fighting over what really gives them structure which is their parents which gives them some kind of good feeling so um, this goes back in some ways to what i talked about at the beginning of the show about having intentions and being aware of values is that if you just let the divorce and things happen and see how things unravel You might end up in a place you really don't want to be and realize, wow, I'm in a war with their father, with their mother, or I've been bad-mouthing and got used to bad-mouthing my ex in front of them. But if you think about it beforehand, the things that matter to you, making sure the kids are a priority and having that conversation with your ex, look, we have our differences, we have our issues. I know we don't even actually like each other anymore, let alone love each other, but we are responsible to these kids they deserve us to be the best co-parents we can be for them not for each other and somebody can feel that way oh i don't want to go pick up the kid because it's doing uh, their father or their mother a favor and i don't want to do anything for them making sure that your intention is on them as much as possible putting those ill feelings for each other aside and realizing we have a responsibility to these kids and if we don't plan for it if we don't Be proactive about it. Very likely you can end up in some bad places. We're very good at fooling ourselves that certain things are okay, uh, and then our kids are going to pay the ultimate price. So again, as a co-parent, what you want, what you feel, of course it does matter and you have to deal with it, but it should not determine the way you act towards your kids or the ways that you might use them in this battle that you might be creating between yourself and your ex. All right, we've reached another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
2: Hello.
1: Yes, hi. Thanks for calling.
2: Thank you. Uh, I have a general question. Okay. I personally worry a lot. Mm-hmm and i just don't know how not to worry just mm-hmm. different things different outcomes of things i always uh, uh, imagined the worst case uh, scenario outcome mm-hmm. for a lot of things i do so that's been pretty much uh, all my life
1: yeah and because it's pretty much been all your life there's a good chance it'll probably be pretty much the rest of your life too uh doesn't mean we can't try to m- make it more manageable or deal with it better, but it's not something that's just going to disappear. And at some level, it's part of being human is that we think about things, we worry about things, and there's different uh, words that we sometimes use interchangeably, like worry, anxiety, fear, even though they're different things. Um, but what most people experience, and it's kind of funny, it's like if you think of all the things you've worried about happening, probably... Fewer than, you know, a fraction of a percent of them actually happen or probably way, way less. Almost none of them happened. Yet we keep doing it. So it, it can seem in a way illogical that we keep worrying about things that don't end up happening. Um, but we can try to understand our worry also as a protective thing because, yes, none of those things happen. But if we think of when we survive, we have to it's better to be wrong uh, you know, have a false positive, meaning we think something is there when it's not, than to miss something. So making it more extreme, if you're in the savannah and there's a, a lion that you uh, you know, might be seeing, you want to make sure you see it and you don't miss it. It's better to think you saw the lion um, and be wrong than to not see the lion when it's there. So we tend to worry or be more uh, anxious about things than is actually the reality, but part of it we can understand that it can be protective or make some kind of sense. And so, as an overall mindset, I think it could be good not to just the way I feel like. And when we talked for, you know, five seconds before the, we got on the air, it's almost like you're mad at yourself for worrying so much. And it could be helpful to change that mindset to have some compassion for yourself for worrying so much rather than. Uh, beating yourself up or making yourself feel worse, in some way even embracing the worry than pushing it away. Does that make sense?
2: It does in yeah. a way, but mm-hmm. uh, basically I tend to worry for things that have a very small percentage mm-hmm. of uh, happening. Yeah. I Basically, for example, financially, I'm, I'm, I think I'm well set, but I still, when I see a homeless person, I see, oh, that could be me. 10 mm-hmm. years, 20 years down the road. And well, obviously that would not, yeah. very likely that's not going to happen, but that's kind of, I identify with that person, with that situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, some of that I don't mind, not th- that creating a lot of anxiety for yourself, but um, when we see others who are, in a worse circumstance than we are in, having compassion for them can be good and realizing that could be us. Some people think, oh, I can never be that person um, because I'm somehow better than them, or I'll never let myself get to that point. But usually it's more about circumstances and who we are when we look at a lot of these things. Um, but some people have, you know, it's like any quality that we have more tendency to worry than others. You know, some people worry about a lot of things and you know, if you tell someone who has anxiety, who has OCD, oh, you know, it's a one in a million chance. Uh, and in general, humans, we don't do very well with those kinds of probabilities. Like one in a thousand and one in a million almost feels the same to us. We don't really get the difference in in what really, the way we really should. But when you tell someone it's possible who has anxiety or has, uh, you know, especially like something like OCD, they can't lose that feeling of, well, it's still possible. So if you say, oh, you know what, you're about to go on this plane, one out of every you know whatever crashes or you're about to take this medication you know the side effects affects one out of every a million people for someone with anxiety that possibility is hard for them to let go of because it's possible and the thing is with life there's almost always bad things that are possible and so you for example might be someone who has a hard time dealing with things because those things can pop in your head I mean I don't want to add things to your list of things you worry about but yeah, you're driving. You can have a car accident. Something can happen. Health-wise, so many things can happen to us at any moment. Life is very fragile. I think, you know, the way that we just stay alive. You know, there's stuff that can happen. So, there's always things that we can worry about. Right. Now, sometimes for some people, meditation makes them more aware of these things, and they don't like it. But it can be helpful because over time, when people meditate and become more mindful, it can create more of a calming feeling. So we're not gonna get rid of your worries. You're never gonna be someone who never worries anymore unless we tranquilize you and you know, get, you know, know, give you so many drugs that you won't really be able to function or live. But really, you're always gonna be someone who worries, but it could become more manageable. Meditation, exercise, those things might help. Um, and the thing is, logically, we can talk about why you shouldn't worry, but these things kinda of happen in an automatic way. It's gonna be hard for you to turn it off, you can try to talk to yourself, say, you know what, here I am worrying again. And I know usually I worry about things even though I'm okay. Right. But in that moment, what most people experience is that it feels so real. It's not a, uh, oh, you know, I'm just feeling this is like, no, no, this is a real danger. It feels like you're not just over exaggerating or over worrying. It feels like it's a real fear. If someone has a fear of flying and they're on a plane, it, it, they really feel like, no, no, but this plane might go down. They're not. Aware, the statistics go out the window because that feeling is very real, you know? Right.
2: Right. So you're suggesting meditation more, being more mindful
1: now. It can be helpful. But as I said, you know, I think your hope was that I would have a way of getting rid of your worries and probably they're not going to go away. Some people with certain medications can, it can help for some people, for example, who have OCD to take certain like antidepressants or other things. It's possible. Um, And that's something you can think about if it's, really interfering with your life so much. And maybe you could tell me more about that. How much does it interfere with your day-to-day, or do you feel that it affects the decisions you make in your life and holds you back?
2: It really doesn't hold me back, but I feel it's constantly on the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. I need every decision I want to make, basically, you know, I think of the worst-case scenario. I'm very pessimistic. Uh, I can't take, you know, I have a hard time trusting. hmm People in business in work—that's how it's affecting me.
1: Basically. Yeah. So when you say you have a hard time trusting, has it affected you in friendships, romantic relationships?
2: Not really. No. No, that part I'm okay. It's like if I'm basically for my work, I have to deal with somebody. I always assume the worst mm. first. Mm-hmm. I feel like oh, this you know, this this thing or this deal or this transaction is not going to go through. You know, it, it's not going to happen. But again, may, may, that's, that's how it's affecting me. I don't have OCD or an anxiety, mm-hmm. but I just have that constant worrying, you know, what's going to happen to me, you know, 20 years, 30 years down the road. Can I live the same life I'm living right now? You know, mm-hmm. how open I am to changes. Yeah. Well, that's what concerns me.
1: Right. And that. so, you know, even talking some of those through, I, I don't know if you're going to live the life you live now. But more than likely, we know you'll be okay, you know, whatever it is, even if life changes, you'll be able to change with it. But, you know, I, I get that in your head, it seems very scary that handling these things. And then, so the, the thing actually is, if you have anxiety, change is scary for you. So it becomes scary to think, well, what if I can't live exactly the way I'm living or things can't be exactly the way they are? Now, another way of another aspect of this is there could be times where you're worrying the way you talk about it might have protected you or helped you. So not to say that, yeah, if you're paranoid, you might be right sometimes that some people are after you and really almost no one is. But it could be that in your work, even sometimes being more cautious has been helpful. I don't know. Uh, do you see that side of your worry? Yeah, no,
2: definitely. It has been okay. helpful. You know, I'm you know being skeptic. Um, that that has helped me, but I'm just it's kind of transferring to my general life I'm feeling I'm just feeling okay, you know, I can't uh, trust anybody, nobody gets what they're supposed to do right, etc., etc. that's I'm kind of having a hard time trusting people as well.
1: So like what kind of people like people you're very close I, to? When
2: I have to deal with the say the company mm-hmm. or something, I keep like repeating myself, making sure the other person understands because I feel, You know, they're not understanding me. They don't do their job right. Hmm. And I think it has to do also with the fact that I can be controlling as well. I feel like I I am a controlling person. So I think that worrying also comes, might stem from that as
1: well. Well, Well, sure. I mean, it's kind of in a way chicken or the egg because um, when you uh, are anxious, you want to control things, right? Because if you're worried things aren't going to go a certain way, then you're going to try to control them to be that certain way because it's... If it doesn't go that way, you're scared, something really bad happens. So we have to do it this way. And so you can take some steps at times realizing, you know getting out of your comfort zone in some ways. So when you feel like things have to be a certain way, try to almost force yourself to do it slightly differently and see that, okay, everything still turned out okay. It's not gonna create a night and day difference, but over time it might give you a little bit more calm of losing some of that control and seeing that even when I don't control everything, the sky doesn't fall. You know, everything is still okay. Um, so that's another thing you can try. It's a, it's a, You have to be ready to face that discomfort. Really, the only way we grow in these kinds of things is we have to face discomfort. You know, there's no, uh, I, I'm going to give you the magical uh, lecture right now that's going to change your worrying. Right. You're going to have to sometimes face the things that you're afraid of or that you worry about and see that you're okay. And this is actually when people overcome fears, when they have phobias. There's no, I'm going to tell you about how spiders are actually really friendly and good and you're going to be okay. You have to actually face the spider and see that you're okay. You survive and that it's not as scary as you think. And even what you talk about, what if I go through these things and I can't handle it? So it's not just you're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid of your feelings to what's going to happen or if you can handle what's going to happen. And really, you're going to, you know, if when you ask me, I know it's easier said for me to say you're going to be okay. But in your head, it seems so big. So a lot of times we're more afraid of the feeling than actually what's going to happen. I'm afraid of going on an elevator because of that panic I'm going to feel rather than just the elevator itself. And so, if we can make the feeling less scary too, that can be good. That it's okay. That's what I was saying. Embracing the worry. You know, here I am worrying again. Doesn't feel very good, but this is me. So I would hope you can have some love and compassion for yourself, as a, someone who worries. Not that I want you to worry more, or I want think it's good for you to worry. But if that's what you're doing, I don't want you just to uh, judge it in a negative way and make yourself feel bad.
2: Understood. Thank you very much, doctor.
1: Sure. Thank you. Good, good luck. Words are not good advice. Yeah, and I'm sure you're going to be okay and even if you're not you're going to be okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Uh, let's go to another. Uh, let me actually a few thoughts on that. Um, you know, we very often uh, I talked about this last week because of the new year, new year, new you kind of a thing. Um, and very often we want to become someone different because some of the things we deal with are painful, are uncomfortable. And of course, as a psychologist, I believe that people can change and can grow, but I also am aware of the limitations of that, that if you're someone who, for example, is worrying a lot, has a lot of anxiety, you're probably never going to be the coolest, calmest person in the world. Uh, As I mentioned to her, unless you take some kind of drugs, whether it's um, uh, prescribed or illicit drugs, yeah, you might get very calm that way, but also you lose other things or have other effects but you're probably not going to be that person. And we might have a dream of being that way or wish we could be that way, which is understandable, but we have to be realistic and first embrace and understand who we are. So if you're a sensitive person, you're never going to be the person that doesn't care about anything and that's okay. So it's realizing that's who you are. And then also, as I was touching on with her, seeing where there are actually maybe some good things about being the way you are too. So, not just saying it as a negative, oh, well, I'm, I'm too sensitive, that makes me weak. No, I'm too sensitive, that makes me more aware, it makes me more empathic, it makes me more attuned to other people. That part is good. And I see sometimes how it gets in the way of certain things or hurts me in other ways, but understanding it better and realizing you're not going to completely change, and that's okay. And you can become better at dealing with your shortcomings or your different characteristics that make you who you are. But you're probably never going to become a completely different person. And of course, we want to have that expectation for ourselves and for other people. So if you have a loved one who worries a lot, don't think, well, if I just tell them they shouldn't worry, they should stop and they're going to be this super calm person or I wish they were just more calm. I get it that you wish they were more calm and maybe there's some small steps they can take, but we have to accept and love and embrace people as they are. Most people are not just going to become completely different people. And really, we probably don't want them to if we love them for some reason. It's also sometimes they have uh, some quality that we like, some sides of it and some sides we don't. Oh, they're so spontaneous and fun. That's great. But that also makes them a little bit unstable or hard to pin down or hard to make plans with. So it has some good and some bad. And So if we look at our own qualities, very often we'll see that same thing and realize that I want to grow, I want to change over time, but I'm not going to become a completely different person, and that's okay. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. I Hi. have a
0: question
3: about my son He's 25 years old. Okay. Um, he went to university for two years. Uh, he was very smart. He stopped after two years. I got divorced when he was six. I moved from another country to the United States, um, and um, now he's at home. He doesn't do anything. He just um, uh, watches TV and video games, uh, both nights, and then other games. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a girlfriend. Uh, his girlfriend to my house, and doesn't contribute anything, um, doesn't pay for anything, but he's very sweet, Mm -hmm. uh, very nice, and everyone loves him, and then he knows a lot about everything, if you talk about anything in the world, he knows. Um, My question is, uh, what do I do with him? Uh, um, My family say, you have to kick him out of your house. Um, I think he, he he might be depressed. he doesn't go to the doctor. Um, I wanted to make an appointment um, for like pain scan or um, um, other other things that helps but I think that he's not interested. Um, well, I don't know uh, if he needs he a brain scan
1: talk? but he yeah he could be depressed um, you know based on what you're saying and you know let's try to think of what is your, Intention, Because you say, you know, people tell me I should kick him out of the house. So what's your intention?
3: Um, I just want to help him. What, but him what does that mean, help, help him? him. Um, I want him on how he teaches. Yeah. I want him to to, to study. As he, I know he's very, very smart. I want him to get back to school. And uh, he, he had 4.0 in school um, all, these years, all the years that he was. And um, I just want to be on this feet. Like everybody in the family or masters or PhDs, doctors, except him. Okay. And then he, he, he blames everything on me. He says, you did this, that's why I'm here. You did this, that's why I'm here. My credit score is low because you did this, this, this. So all the blame goes to me.
1: So he blames you for like not going back to school? Exactly. Okay.
3: It is now pay for me. The school I sent him was private school, $65,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to do that again. I'm not sure if he goes to school. He stays in school and finishes what he started. But um, that's why. And I say, okay, just go to community college, finish your 60 units, and then just go to another school, which is not um asking
1: for uh, money damn much like it's like eight thousand dollars mm-hmm. okay um yeah there's a there's a way and I, I you know this word can come off judgmental but at least the way you are experiencing him as being feeling entitled that he uh, doesn't have to work or do anything and that it's okay or if he wants to you know go to school you have to pay and it's it's your responsibility um but it could also be that he feels powerless. So it's not just that he feels entitled because... That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. And so we we want to be aware of that. And, and, and maybe you contribute to that too by taking yeah. care of him the way you do. And so very often parents can have this feeling that, well, as long as I'm taking care of my kid, even when they're no longer a kid and they're an adult, I'm doing a good job as a parent. But maybe you're holding him back by taking care of him, you know, by paying for whatever it is, or by not having certain mm. um, wants from him. And so have you talked to him about what he even wants for himself?
3: Well, he says, oh, okay, I'm trying. And then he starts a course, and then he stops. It. Okay. It's been going on for like three, four years now.
1: And what does he say is the reason?
3: Mm. He just doesn't talk to me that much then i ask him if i if i talk about fashion or weather or this is that he will answer me but if i talk about his personal life he wouldn't answer me and he says you you're just taking me nervous so talk to him. not talk about this thing
1: yeah well that's the thing i think it makes him uncomfortable to talk about it exactly but it doesn't mean you know but he's also avoiding it there, there's a way you you're talking about him which reminds me of lots of people there's like this um Going back and forth from feeling very weak and not good, but then also Mm -hmm. going to this other side of being like better than other people or being like you even described him so smart and so good. And so, yeah, so he might, you know, and then because of that, when it comes to trying something, he doesn't want to fail because it makes him go back to that feeling of being the weak version of himself. And or even trying, you know, size people uh, I'll, I'll work with people and they want to work, but they don't want to take the low level job. They want to already have a higher level job. So they won't even start True. working. Right. Because they want to That's have exactly. a job. Yeah. So they want to have like the
4: exactly.
1: cool job, the good job, the job that they, quote unquote, deserve rather than realizing, well, this is my first job. So it's going to be lower level, but I want to work towards something. So that that is getting in his way is like this feeling of. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't feel I think good about himself deep down and so he wants to somehow get this validation from the outside and what he's choosing to do is to do nothing because at least if he has no job he can't have a bad job or a low job or he can't fail a class if he drops out before he even takes the tests um, so he might be afraid of failure and instead of that is kind of living a life that isn't very successful but at least he's not losing or making you know these these mistakes so i would be aware of how you even talk to him um and maybe obviously it's a little bit too late because my guess is there's a lot of him being so smart and how smart and great he is but that gets in the way of him actually wanting to work hard or it can make him afraid to even try things because of that so i don't know if that makes sense or if that's kind of how he is but the way you're describing him it seems like he's choosing to just not do anything now you can give him some expectations not you know i'm usually not in the kick him out of the house mentality um (laughs) but but that it's not okay that he just doesn't contribute anything you know and even if he doesn't like it you have to be able to tolerate him not liking the conversation and you can tell him "I, i get it it's not comfortable i know you don't like talking about it but i think it's important for us still to talk about it and you know i don't know if this is the case for you but for a lot of parents it's, oh he's getting upset it's okay let's just avoid it let's not mm-hmm. i don't want to upset mm-hmm. him because we think as a parent our job is to make sure our kids are happy or smiling or feeling good so if i'm making my kid feel bad that means i'm being bad so let me stop but we need him to face it what he's also doing he's avoiding what's going on and my guess is he doesn't feel very good about it you know as much as you don't like like it it. he doesn't doesn't feel good about it either so we don't need to punish him for it or make him feel worse because he already feels bad but we do need to help him to face it and not avoid it because it seems like he's trying to just coast through and not feel what he's feeling and not think about what's going on and finding a reason why well yeah you did this and you did that so it's not on me but it's on him, you know. So you can even acknowledge. I'm sure I've made a lot of mistakes, and there's so many things I've done that have affected you. But now, what do you want to do now? You know, whatever has happened to you uh, in the past has happened to you. But what are you going to do with it now? Um, and that's going to be up to him. And not in a way you w- want to blame him for where he's at, but that realizing that he is, uh, you know, the one that's going to be responsible for what happens, and you'll support him in the ways that make sense. Um, but it's going to be on him. And really that's the case. If he's going to be successful, it's not up to you. It's up to him. And he has to take that ownership.
3: Uh, well, his sister is, he um, is a doctor. And then, um, mm. I asked her to talk to him. And she said, uh, mom, uh, leave him alone. He's He's going to figure it out. And, um, he might just come out with something big. As I see him, he is too smart. Every every problem I have, I call him, and, and he uh, just uh, helps me. Even even uh, for the for the recommendation letter, that is she she wanted him to just r- write or or just. Uh, analyze
1: uh the book did i yeah did sorry did she you said that your daughter said he might come up with something big
3: better
1: good okay and it's possible
3: but that's kind of feeding into
1: the the same mentality of oh it's like i don't need to do anything because i'm going to do some huge thing that's going to change the world and i'm just like waiting on that idea to come up and then it's going to come up and it, it reminds you again of that feeling of um you know, I don't want to do something small. I only want to do something huge. And, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to do nothing until that huge thing somehow comes yeah. up, you know. So I I think that's feeding into that of like his there's like this way, you know, your daughter's talking about him and you have even talked about him as this like brilliant, you know, genius. And we don't need to get in his way. And we do have to, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to him. But I don't think him doing The way you're describing it, at least doing nothing. Now, maybe he'll say he's doing something. That's not the path towards Mm -hmm. doing, you know. Yeah, people do go on different paths. Not everyone has to go to school even. You know, there's lots of different ways we can become successful, but we have to work towards something. It's not just sitting around waiting for the idea to just develop. And, you know, a lot of times people have this idea that the great inventions and all the great things that have happened it just came into someone's head out of nowhere. But usually they were working towards something or working on those things for a long time. And then the idea might have came in a flash of intuition, but it wasn't because they were doing nothing and magically it appeared in their head. It's that they've been working on this problem for a while or this issue, and that actually helped them to eventually have this uh, moment where they thought of something in the shower or all of a sudden came to their mind. You know, So um, right. I, wouldn't, I, I think in a way your daughter's right. We don't want to push him too much because he has to go on his own path but I don't want to feed in too much into this mindset of you're this great genius that just has to like sit there and wait for his big idea to show up and I think there is fears of failure and fear uh, of things and maybe he is depressed and I wouldn't brain scan to me is not I'm not such a fan of that in general but to talk to someone um, and usually the way I present it is not that you need help, but you deserve help. like things are going on. And even you can start with acknowledging how you've uh, you know hurt him or his family, uh, you know, the way you guys raised him and all the, the stuff it seems that went on there. you gave me a very brief description of it. There's probably a lot there. Um, so it could be good for him to talk to someone. And if he ever gives you a moment where he shows he's not happy with his own life, that could be your way of connecting with him, not of like saying, Oh, see, you're not happy. You're bad. You're, you know, not loving your life, but more of a way of saying, I see that you're in pain and that's why I want you to get help. Not because Mm -hmm. you're bad, but actually you're suffering. You're in pain. It's not because Mm -hmm. of you not being good enough. It's actually because you deserve more.
3: Um, I'm going to try to, to send him to, to her, to his doctor, but on the other hand, um, do I remind him of uh, like I don't know paying something paying for the, I mean Netflix or TV or the games or um, you or can or you Should can I do that?
1: I, I think that's okay, but coming up not as a form of punishment, like well, you know mm-hmm. what? now you have to do this because you've been bad and you're not doing anything, but just really you know like you, it, I, I'd like for you to support, in some way. What do you think? I'd make it a conversation rather than a punishment or a demand Um, and seeing what he says, what ideas he has, what does he think. And it might even bring up his feelings. He probably doesn't feel very good about the situation between you and him or what's going on. Um, He might not acknowledge it. He might not bring it up, but I doubt he's feeling good about it. It seems like he does use avoidance as a coping mechanism. So he avoids the things he doesn't feel good about. So if you bring it up, we have to be ready that more than likely He's going to try to resist the conversation, or maybe he'll get mad at you, Hey, like, come on, Mom, like, why do you have to bring up this stuff? Or somehow he'll push you away. Um, and I hope you can tolerate his feeling and not end the conversation. You, you can acknowledge he doesn't like it. You can acknowledge he doesn't understand, but that it's important for you to talk about whatever you know it is that you're talking about. So be ready that he's going to push back. He's not going to like this conversation. You might not like the conversation either. It's going to be an uncomfortable one. But you need to have some of those with him. Um, And at the end of the day, keeping in mind, we're talking about what you can do to help him, but you're not going to push him to the finish line. He's going to have to stand up and go by himself, which I know is what you want, but we have to make sure we're not dragging him too much. You can talk to him, you can support him, but there's only so much you can do.
3: He doesn't even um, socialize with the cousin. The youngest graduated from... Um, University. Um, I mean, uh, he doesn't. I can't say yet. all, but I think, as you said, he doesn't feel good about himself. Yeah. not even for, for my party. He didn't show up. Everybody was there. He didn't show up for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, even you, and you said uh, this this cousin graduated from college
3: graduated yeah Yeah, and so and
1: your son didn't graduate from college yet no okay so i mean yeah maybe it brings up some stuff like this my younger cousin is doing more than me or has done more than me you know so i think there is a lot of that but we can't we're not we can't change him or force him to do anything but we don't want to reinforce or encourage his avoidance that he's doing it seems like he's just avoiding Oh, I don't like to see them. But he'll make an excuse. He won't tell you that's the reason. But we need him to face what's going on um, rather than going, you know, that's why what you are said about your daughter. I'm not saying there's. it's not possible, but it's almost he's living in more of his dream world than the reality world. And we need to get right. him to face the reality a little bit more. Um, not, you know, it's not going to be up to you, but getting him to see that this is, you know, the real stuff is he has to do the work that's not so pretty and feels good and shining and being a star it's like you know kind of annoying and difficult and and stuff but that's that's how it is so we're gonna have to help him with that to to not avoid but it's going to be a challenge just you know there's only again at the end of the day so much you can do you can't control him or get him to be a certain way Um, but you want to be aware of what you're doing and how it's affecting him and by just taking care of him and being on autopilot, is not gonna. Your it seems like your resentment is building too, and that's not good. It's gonna affect how you feel and also how you interact with him. But it's not helping him either. So we don't want to contribute to this kind of autopilot, just anything goes kind of a way. We need to get him to face a little bit of what's going on. So
3: just just respond to contribute or um, ask to check with the doctor
1: and also talk about his last these yeah I mean the ch- the doctor they'll be aware I mean telling him he should go you know if it's part of a different kind of conversation all of them think of these as conversations not you're gonna tell him to do this you know right, even right, when it comes right. to supporting you can say I this is really something important for me I you know whatever it is But they're conversations, they're not uh, demands. Like you said, if we want him to be on his own feet, he's going to have to get himself there too and take those steps. So I would have those conversations with him, but be aware that it seems like he's trying to avoid, and we don't want to badger him and make him feel bad, but we also don't want to contribute to his avoidance.
3: Well, thank you so much. Sure. Nice talking to you. I Good ask luck. him to, to call you himself if I can. If sure. I, can. It's always, I would always rather yeah, talk
1: to the person. Yeah, I mean, that's always going to be better. So if he's Sorry. he's I open to, to that, have him. have him call in.
3: Sure. Thank you so sure. much. Have Nice day. talking to you. Take thank
1: care. You. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. Going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I wanted to end the show talking about... Uh, in a way related to the first topic about setting goals living the life you want to live but it's also a knowing yourself and so um the not the last caller the one before that talking about how she felt she worried too much and in a way wanted to stop that and part of what i told her was about how we often can't change ourselves um, or especially can't change ourselves completely but we can learn to love and embrace who we are so When we talk about self-discovery, self-awareness, knowing ourselves better, they all sound like good things. Um, Most people would say that they are, but the first step in that is wanting to know. So we have to want to reflect inward, but really in order to do that, we have to have the mindset of being able to accept and love whatever we see, because that's one of the reasons why we don't want to examine ourselves more closely, see who we are, find out who we are. Just like many people will avoid getting a blood test or getting an x-ray or MRI, not because they logically think it's bad to get the test. They know it's good for them or that they should know that, okay, if something is wrong, uh, we'll start dealing with it now rather than waiting till the problem becomes worse. Or I'll get to find out nothing's wrong and I'll have that peace of mind. But we're afraid of what we might see. We're afraid of what we might have to face if we go and search and find the truth. And so people have that same experience with themselves. Uh, We're afraid of the feelings that that might come up if we, for example, meditate or if we go to therapy. And one of the things about meditation, a lot of times we have this uh, idea that, well, when you meditate, it's just this peaceful, calm, good feeling. And you might get some of that, but also when you meditate and turn inward and focus more on your feelings, you also are going to face some negative feelings. You might get in touch with some anger, some rage, some really deep pain, raw wounds that you haven't really acknowledged or been aware of. So it's not just that you experience these pleasant, good feelings. You also face some things that don't feel so good. And that's what can keep people at times from doing it. So very often when people talk about meditation, they say, oh, I tried it, but it was too boring and. In a way, of course, yes, it's not this fast paced, exciting thing, but one of the reasons why it can feel boring is the anxiety Uh, and anxiety is often uh, the word we really mean when we say bored that comes up with getting in touch with what's there, getting in touch with those feelings that might be uncomfortable. So if we want to go on the journey of self-discovery, we have to have the mindset that whatever I find is going to be okay. Or else we won't even start or we won't really look so hard. If I tell you I want you to go into this cave and discover everything in there and and give me a very solid map of this dark cave and what's going on in there. If you're afraid there's bats and monsters and different things that can hurt you, you're not going to look very hard. Or you might not even look at all. Or you might take a few steps in and look back. And you definitely won't do a very thorough uh, uncovering of everything you can find leaving uh, no stone no stone unturned. You'll be afraid to see what's there because those things are scary. But if we can recognize that the things that we might find scary are actually okay and we can handle them, or another way of looking at that, that everyone, uh, whereas human beings, we have imperfections, we have good, bad, and ugly, and that's okay, that can make it less scary. That if I find an insecurity when I look within myself, if I find Um, some negative feelings towards people in my life that I think are very good, some anger towards family members that I don't want to acknowledge. And that's okay because that's part of being human. If I can have that mindset, then I can look a lot more clearly and thoroughly than if I'm afraid of what I see. So accepting ourselves as human and recognizing what that means is very important. That as human beings, we are flawed individuals. That as human beings with human relationships, even in the best of relationships, there will be some negative feelings or there could be some negative emotions, resentments, things from things that have happened or things that have built up over the course of the relationship. But that's OK. It doesn't mean we are bad. It doesn't even mean that other person is bad or that our relationship is bad. It just means that this is part of being in a relationship, is that there can be feelings there that aren't just pleasant. When we interact with each other closely, um, we have to know and understand and expect that there's gonna be some things that come up that we don't like. It's impossible to get close to someone, to get very close and emotionally intimate with someone and have no bad feelings, no bad situations, no arguments, disagreements uh, and resentments build up in any way and we have to accept that. So if we can accept what it means to be human and that I'm going to see flaws when I look at myself more closely. If you look at a mirror that's 500 feet away, you won't see, barely see yourself and you won't see any flaws. If you get a magnifying glass and look at your face up close, you'll start to see some imperfections and things, but that's part of being human. And if you can accept that that's part of being human, that I'll see these things and that makes me still lovable and doesn't make me something not okay, then you'll be less afraid to look at yourself up close. And so we can have this mindset that what I find will be okay. And even what I find when I see it, I can understand it better. I can have compassion for my insecurities that I find. I can have compassion for some of the feelings I wish I didn't have. It's very common, for example, for people not to want to see that they have a jealous feeling towards someone because they think that makes them weak. And why should I feel jealous about anyone or anything or feel envious towards someone? So we don't want to see that feeling. But really, we have to acknowledge that it's going to be there. Everyone has these feelings. The most confident person you know has some insecurities too. The most, uh, the person who seems to believe in themselves the most has had moments where they doubt themselves. The person who seems to have such great willpower has times where they want to give up or has given up completely. So... This thought that we're supposed to be something that is not human gets in our way of actually knowing ourselves better and also of knowing each other better because we don't want to see what's there and we don't let each other see us as closely. So I hope in this year I've talked a bit about before the New Year's and even when the year started about embracing who you are. That when people say New Year, New You, part of what makes me not like that is that it's saying me I am now is not good enough. The me I am now is not lovable or I hate it or it's not acceptable. I have to become a totally new version of myself when that's not the case. The you that you are is lovable and is good. And actually, the more you understand that you, um, the better you can even express your full potential, express all the gifts that you have, because the more you understand about yourself, yes, I'm bringing up um, some of these negative things that you have to be willing to face and embrace but you also will understand yourself better in the positive things that you have the strengths you have the gifts and talents that maybe you're afraid to express or afraid to get in touch with or express to afraid to show to the world you'll become more aware and in touch with those as well so if we can embrace what we find we're not as afraid to find anything and the only way we can really try to understand ourselves is if we go in with that mindset that whatever I find is going to be okay. I'm a human being who's going to have flaws. I'm going to have weaknesses. I'm going to have mistakes that I've made, and I don't want to avoid those. I want to face those to understand myself better so that I can grow. The only way we can help ourselves grow is by first seeing what we are. Going back to that analogy of getting an x-ray, you have to get the x-ray to see what's going on, and then you can help heal what's there. But we can't heal what we don't feel. We can't improve until we actually see what the situation is. And the first step is wanting to look within. But the mindset we have to have when we want to look within is that whatever I find, it's going to be okay. I can love myself. I can be lovable no matter what is there. Just like if you're with a child, you're going to try to understand them better. Whatever they are, you're going to love. There's nothing they can do or be that'll makes them unlovable. And hopefully we can have that same mindset and approach with ourselves as well. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. The book of the week, again, is How We Work by Leo Weiss. How We Work, Live Your Purpose, Reclaim Your Sanity, and Embrace the Daily Grind. Look forward to sharing that with you on Monday's show. And already gotten a bunch of recommendations for this year, which I appreciate. So thank you to everyone who sent me some book recommendations. But also, if you haven't and you have one in mind, please send it to me on my Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, because I'm always looking for new books to read, to add to the books a week uh, for each uh, show. All right. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Hazola here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day.